Amen. Please take your seats. Turn in your Bible to uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. I was going to buy this week, but he's not here, so it doesn't really matter anyway. But um, because Andy Lancaster's uh, on holiday, I was going to buy a great big bourbon for him. You know, one of them ginormous ones, because last week he was... He was telling you lot, he was lying really, that, that I pinched all the bourbons. I don't really like bourbons, they're a bit boring really, aren't they? Tunnock's Caramel Wafers. They're my favourite, they're the best ones. Fantastic. Hebrews chapter 1. Amazing passage of scripture. And please forgive me, because uh, theologians far greater than I, if I am a theologian, uh, I've wrestled with this passage. And if you don't, I don't mind what version you're, you're reading this morning. It might be the New Living. It might be the New International. It might be the ESV. It might be the Amplified or, or, or whatever. But uh, if, you, if you read all those different versions, you'll notice how the theologians and, and the Bible translators wrestle with what the writer to the Hebrews is trying to get across about Jesus. It's a fantastic passage of scripture. And uh, just slowly reading it through, line by line, and and just asking yourself, what does this mean? What does this mean? Um, Hopefully that's what we're going to do today. Please forgive me if I wrestle with it and I falter a little bit, because we've done it for over the the, the centuries. But really what I want to get across is confidence, Having confidence and knowing who you've got confidence in uh, this morning as we look at this passage. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. And it says this. Long ago, God spoke many times in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son As an inheritance. And through the Son, He created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. When He had cleansed us from our sins, He sat down in the place of honor. At the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. There's three great Christological passages in the New Testament. By Christological I mean explaining the nature of Jesus Christ and what he came to do, what his work was. They're very easy to remember because they're all chapter 1's. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word. Colossians chapter 1. He is the visible image of the invisible God. And Hebrews chapter 1. And Hebrews, the whole Hebrew book of Hebrews, deals with the superiority and the fulfillment of the covenant of Jesus over the covenant of Moses. What the writer to the Hebrews is trying to get across, and we don't, we don't actually know who the writer is. Theologians say it's obviously not Paul because the style of writing is not the same as Paul's. Some theologians say it could be Barnabas. Others say it could be Apollos. But it doesn't really matter. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews isn't bothered whether you know him or not. Because, or her, because what he is bothered about is whether you know Jesus. And, And do you know why he came and what he came to do? This particular 
passage has been the center of historic heated debate amongst theologians throughout the centuries. The fourth century uh, was the Council of Nicaea, where two guys were, were really debating. One was called Arius, and he claimed Jesus to be the highest creation of God, the firstborn. The other was Athanasius, and he said, no, you've got it wrong. Jesus is God. And he used the term, he's very God of very God, to try and explain who Jesus was. He's the essence of deity. He's not the firstborn, he's the creator of the firstborn, said Athanasius. Athanasius really won that debate. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and he is God. He's part of the Godhead. But you might meet people, even today, who follow the teachings of Arius. We would commonly know them as Jehovah's Witnesses. They don't believe that Jesus is God. They believe he's created by God. So, don't get into that sort of debate with them anyway. <laughs> just, just tell them that Jesus died for them. A few weeks ago, uh, I had some people out on, on the platform, and they were um, telling us about what they did in their everyday, ordinary lives. And we called it a little slot, TTT, this time tomorrow. And we talked about how they declared Christ in their everyday, ordinary work home life, neighborhood, wherever they were. And uh, it was really interesting hearing all about what they do when they're not here in church, where they spend 95% of their time and how, how they declare Christ wherever they are. And in that week after that, I was just talking to somebody who said they'd really enjoyed uh, the meeting that morning. And so I said to them, how do you declare Jesus where you are? And they scratched their head and they rubbed their chin and they said, well, do you know what? I wouldn't know where to start. And I said, why? And they said, well, I just don't, I just don't have the confidence. That was their words. I just don't have the confidence. What they really meant was, I don't have the confidence in, in myself to actually say the right words. I, I, I'll trip up. I don't, and I don't really know where to start in the scripture. Well, actually, if you read this particular passage from Hebrews over and over and you meditated on it and you really got it into your, your heart and your thinking, you'd be able to know where to start, where to think from. Because as we look at this passage in verse 1, the writer to the Hebrews says this, Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways. In some versions it says various ways. And that's really interesting. Through the prophets... And our ancestors. It's interesting that when you read Acts 8. And you see Philip. Who's with the, the Ethiopian eunuch. And the, the eunuch's reading Isaiah. And he's not understanding it. He's not really getting what Isaiah is talking about. Or who Isaiah is talking about. And Acts 8 says. Beginning with the prophet Isaiah. Philip goes on to explain who Jesus is. So Philip began with that prophet Isaiah and probably other prophets as well. And then showed the Ethiopian eunuch how all those prophets pointed to Jesus who had now come. And that's exactly what the writer to the Hebrews is saying. Throughout the, all the Old Testament, through all the covenants, the Adamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the, the Mosaic covenant, all those covenants were all showing aspects 
of who God is and what God is going to do with the world. And they all culminate and come to a conclusion in Christ Jesus. They all point prophetically to Christ Jesus through all the prophets, all that the prophets did. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Boy, Ezekiel was a funny one. (laughs) He did some really strange things, all in a prophetic way. He knocked a hole in the side of his house, which didn't go down too well with his wife. And he, he took all the furniture out through that hole, out to the outside, in an expression, a prophetic expression of showing Israel how they would come out of captivity and enslavement. He also spent 28 days lying on his side. I'm sure that would go down really well with my wife if I spent 28 days laying on my side. I can't remember what he was. He was probably saying there, Israel, you, you, you're doing nothing about, about God. You're inactive. But all these prophets were all declaring some aspect of God and bringing them all together many times in many ways. There's one message. And that message is all about Christ Jesus. It's all pointing to Jesus. And when you enter into the New Testament... You see, there's a fundamental turning point. Very often, uh, on Alpha, when we run Alpha, maybe in, in, in my group, around my little table, probably in the, uh, when other people lead their particular tables, you get someone saying, but the Bible is so hard to understand. And I say, what bit have you got stuck in? And usually it's Leviticus or Deuteronomy or something like that. And I say to them, and I encourage them, Read the New Testament first. Read the New Testament first. You don't have to start right at the very beginning. You can read the New Testament first. And once you begin to understand a little about Jesus, who he was, what he came to do, what he did, and what he, what he taught, then you'll start be able to understand the Old Testament a lot clearer. Because the Old Testament is completely talking and leading and pointing people to Jesus. That's what the Old Testament is all about. And so when the New Testament comes about and Jesus is born into this world, it's a fundamental turning point. It's a culmination of all what the prophets were were pointing to. The, The theological word is eschatological. You see, it says in verse 2, Now in these final days... Final days. What does that mean? Well, I'm knocking on a bit now. I'm 53. And uh, back when I was young, 13, I can remember my pastor back home in Sheffield preaching about the last days. The last days. And I kept thinking, oh, it's the last days. Jesus will be coming back pretty soon. Well, now I'm 53. And now I'm preaching about the last days. What does it mean, the last days? Well, I'd encourage you to think less chronological and more theological here. Because what what the writer to the Hebrews is actually saying is, when Jesus came, born as a man, he existed before then, but God sent him to be born as a man. That was the beginning of these last days. And Jesus was bringing in his kingdom. And he was showing us his kingdom and what his kingdom was all about. He was bringing in salvation for us. That was the beginning of the last days. We're living in that period when the devil is defeated. Yes, because Jesus has died on the cross. But Jesus is yet to come again. And it seems like a long time for us. But actually in the whole, a whole history of the, the world, it's not. 
In the whole history of scripture, it's not. These are the last days. And it's not so much about being frightened about Jesus coming back again, like my granddad used to frighten me. Don't go to the pictures, because Jesus might come again. Don't tell my granddad, I saw Greece 12 times. But it's about us being aware of what Jesus had come to do. Who Jesus had come to show. And the writer to the Hebrews goes on to explain. Now in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. The writer is trying to bring out this link between God the Father and Jesus this, the Son. This close link, this family link, this unity that is there between the God the Father and God the Son. But if you just left it there, you can well understand why Arius believed that Jesus was created, because sons are created. But actually, the writer to the Hebrews goes on. And he says, God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance. So he's a son, he's also an heir. In fact, the psalm that we read out at the very beginning, Psalm 2, this is what the writer to the Hebrews has got ringing in his, in his mind. He recalls that Jesus has been granted the inheritance of all the nations of the world. Not just the Jewish nation, but all the nations of the world will be his footstool. You will be, you will be God over them all. So he's a son and he's an heir. But also, and this hops back to his pre-existence. It says, and through the son, God created the universe. God created the universe. That means Jesus existed before he came as a baby. He was there at the very beginning of creation. How do we understand that? John 1, 3 says this, Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made. So if you look at the complete picture of Scripture, way back right at the very dawn of time, at the beginning of creation, we see God the Father. We see the Holy Spirit hovering. And Hebrews says, And the Son also. That perfect unity, the Trinity, there. Son, heir, and creator. But you can see that the writer to the Hebrews is wrestling with this, trying to explain here to the Hebrews the, the, the full glory of Jesus. And so he, he goes on in verse 3. The Son radiates God's own glory. Radiates. He's the radiance, some translation says, of the glory of God. He clearly displays the Father. No metaphor that you use is, can fully explain it. But I guess the closest you can say is, if we went near the sun, that would be dangerous. The sun's all-powerful, S-U-N. And yet, we benefit from the light and the heat of the sun. The sun's really useful to us. Jesus is like light is to God who could be the sun. And that's a very, there's no easy way to explain that. But it's easy to understand that we benefit from the light. We benefit from the sun. When we look at the light, we're really looking at the sun. When we're looking at Jesus, we're really looking at God. 
And he goes on to say that. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Some versions say he's the exact representation of God, the Father. The word in Greek that's used there is a word that's not used very often in, the, in Scripture. I think this probably is the only time. It's the word character. And that's how you pronounce it, character. And it's where we get our word character from. When somebody talks about your character and my character, they're talking about who we are. That's what it's talking about here. You look at Jesus, who he is, is an exact representation of God the Father. But it's also talking about a character. Perhaps a letter, but probably more in this, in the mind of the writer to the Hebrews, a stamp from the signet ring of, a, of the king. When the king writes a letter and he folds it and he puts sealing wax on it and he stamps it with its, its ring. When he lifts the stamp off, what's in that stamp is exactly what's on that ring. Every minutest little engraving, every little detail. And when you see that stamp, you see that letter is from the, the king. Because it's exactly the same ring as, as the king has got. What the writer to the Hebrews is trying to say is, Jesus is the exact representation like a typewriter, when the hammer of the typewriter hits the paper, whatever's on that little hammer is exactly what's on that paper. When you look at Jesus, you're looking at God the Father. So what Jesus taught, how Jesus was, what Jesus declared and came to do, exactly represented the Father. John 14 verse 9, Jesus himself says, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So yes, he's a son. Yes, he's an heir. But he's a creator. He's the exact representation of God. He's one in essence with God. He's one in being with God. He's one in unity with God, as is the Holy Spirit. That's why we call this unity the Trinity. But the writer to the Hebrews goes on. He's wrestling with this and he's trying to explain the glory of Jesus. And he says this, And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command or his powerful word, as some versions say. So, Jesus is a son, an heir, a creator. He's the sustainer of the whole universe. He sustains everything by his mighty power. That's how powerful Jesus is. We sing songs, don't we, about the friendship of Jesus. And that's good and that's right. But it's not a way to reduce Jesus. We still must see him in all his glory. He's the sustainer of everything, of the universe. He's the one who makes sense of the whole universe. He's the one who brings order. He's the one who brings coherence. He's the one who brings the, the cosmos into a, an intelligible, intelligible thing. We see right back at the very beginning of time, it says the earth was, for, was void, uh, uh, formless and void. It was chaos and yet God spoke and everything came into being. Someone who I read this week and I forgot who it was, they were talking about Jesus in this being the sustainer and it said he turns chaos into cosmos. So before the cosmos was chaos and Jesus spoke and Jesus turned chaos into into cosmos. 
Colossians 1.17 says this. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. This is meaty stuff this morning, isn't it? In him all things hold together. He's the sustainer. But the writer to the Hebrews goes on. And he says, when he had cleansed us from our sins. So he's the sustainer of the universe, but he came for a purpose. That purpose was to die on the cross for you and I. Because sin was our problem. Sin was our burden. We could not do anything to release ourselves from the slavery of sin. That's what the writer's here saying. The Mosaic Covenant was about God being with his people, bringing them out of slavery from Egypt into the promised land. That was the Mosaic Covenant. Jesus reflected that and and fulfilled that in freeing us from the slavery and the captivity of sin. So Jesus is the sustainer, but he's also the saviour. Jesus himself says in, in John 14, I am the way, the truth and the life. He's the way. He's the only way. So he's unique. There's no other like him. But he's also final. He's the truth. And in him is the life. But he's sustainer. He's saviour. And the writer to the Hebrews goes on. And he says, he sat down in the place of honour at the right hand of Of the majestic God of heaven. I don't know what you thought of when I read that earlier. He sat down. My mind went straight to the gospel of John. Jesus hanging on the cross. Some of the words that Jesus spoke from the cross. Jesus said, it is finished. It's done. I've achieved what God sent me to do. I've died for the sin of the world. And he said, when he had accomplished all this, he ascended back to heaven and he sat down. Where? At the right hand of God. Who sits down at the right hand of God? Only the Son can sit at the right hand of God. Because there's unity there. They are the Godhead. They are together in that Godhead. It is finished. It's a place of authority. Jesus said, all authority has been given given to me. Psalm 110. The writer to the Hebrews is probably thinking of this psalm when he writes about this particular place. Read Psalm 110 when you get home and you imagine this uh, this text from the Hebrews. He sat down at the right hand. But also Philippians 2 verse 5 talks about Jesus humbling himself. Humbling himself so much that he died on the cross. And God exalted him. To the highest place, it says. So he completely humbled himself to such a point that he was humiliated and yet God completely exalted him right to his right hand and was able to sit down. John Calvin, probably the theologian above all theologians, he describes this particular passage and he sees Jesus in three ways. And John Calvin says... Three things, prophet, priest, and king. Jesus is our prophet. He declares what what God's plan is for, 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 for mankind. He's our priest because he sacrifices himself for the sin of sin of mankind. But he's our king. He's our king and our, our Lord, and he sits at the right hand of God. This is Jesus. 
This is Jesus. So to that person that said, I don't really know where to start. I don't really have confidence. Well, don't have confidence in yourself. Because we all run short of, of words and our own intellect. Look at what scripture is teaching about Jesus. Look at what all the prophets were pointing to. Look at what all the covenants were about. Look at Jesus, the exact representation of the Father. It's Jesus who we follow. It's Jesus who we serve. It's Jesus who we declare. No doubt, you might work with somebody, you might have somebody even in your family who says, well, I don't believe there's a God. Explain God to me anyway. Well, do you know what? If you start there, it's pretty hard. How do you explain God? How do you begin to explain God? That's what the writer to the Hebrews was wrestling with. And then he said, the easiest way to explain God is to say, look at Jesus. So even someone who says, I don't believe in God, ask them this question. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe Jesus existed? Do you believe there was a man called Jesus? Nobody can deny that. History proves there was a Jesus. Then ask them, what do you know about Jesus? Was he a good man? What did he teach? They might know. They might know he taught love your neighbor. They might know some, a miracle that he did. Well, then you can begin that conversation. Was Jesus a madman? Was Jesus crazy? Was Jesus on some power trip? Or was Jesus genuine? Well, if Jesus was genuine, he believed there was a God. And he actually said, if you want to know the Father, look at me. That's who we follow. That's who we place our confidence in. If you look at that slide that we've got there of all the, uh, the guest services coming up and the, the events, if you'd like to just put that up. Think about September. Think about, uh, not that one, the other one that's, uh, that's on the system. Think about the, the events that are on the back of your bulletin. Think about the people who you know, people in your family, the people who you work with. And just think about them right now and think, God, oh, there we go. Who is it that would come to a guest service on a, on a Sunday morning? Who is it that would come to perhaps Debbie's concert? Or maybe the crazy wrestling? Or maybe the, the, the comedy event? Who is it in my life? that maybe come to two of those events or maybe a guest service and a, an event. Ask the Holy Spirit right now, who is it, Lord? Might be several people who you know. From next week, there's going to be leaflets available for all these events. If you think handing a leaflet's a lot, a lot easier, might start a conversation up. You're just inviting them to an event. But do it with confidence. Remember who it is who's with you. If a conversation starts up there and then, don't get all tied up and all tongue-tied, but just think, okay, who am I trying to describe here? Start to describe Jesus and who he is. Because Jesus is the exact representation of God the Father. And no one can deny that there wasn't a man named Jesus. So let's keep that up and let's just pray right now. Father, thank you, Lord, that you, or you are almighty. You began everything that there is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
you are almighty God. And you've placed your spirit in us. And we are followers of your son. And Lord, we pray that whoever you have placed in our lives, whether it be a work colleague or family member or next door neighbor, or maybe even a chance meeting on a bus or in town, Lord, there might be somebody, there will be somebody who needs to hear about your love and about you dying for them on the cross. Lord, we pray, Lord, that we will place our confidence not in ourselves, but in you, the author and finisher of our faith, the Alpha and the Omega, the Son, the Heir and the Creator. Lord, because only you are worthy. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to close. Really pray that uh, God brings about divine opportunities for you in these coming weeks leading up to September. And uh, like Pastor Steve often says, what's the worst that can happen? The worst that that can happen is they say no. But keep trying. Just smile and keep trying. Well, if you don't like wrestling, come to a comedy event. If you don't like comedy event, come to a singing event. You know, sooner or later, they will come. And if they offer you sitting in a hot tub, you know, don't do it. Okay, thanks, Karen.